This episode of The Explainer is supported by Daft Advantage Ads. Selling a home is a huge financial decision, so make sure your property is on daft.ie, Ireland's number one property website. Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne, and this week, does Barbie and Oppenheimer mark the return of the summer blockbuster? Well, who would have thought that a mixed bag of Barbie's plastic pinkness and Oppenheimer's grey and grim storyline would be the cinema combination of 2023 that we didn't know we needed? And what an unlikely pairing. Greta Gerwig's Barbie is a delightful postmodern feminist take on the classic Barbie doll's adventures, her gormless pal Ken and Toe, while Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer with Ireland's Killian Murphy is an intense three-hour-long epic about the father of the atomic bomb, so not for the faint-hearted. Well, today we're looking at the excitement around these two movies and also the wider film landscape, from changing habits for cinema-goers to the impact of the wider strikes in the US. And we're asking if, after a few years of cinema that seemed chock-a-block with sequels and Marvel movies, have Barbie and Oppenheimer or Barbenheimer resurrected the summer blockbuster? And to do this with us today, we're delighted to have Aoife Barry, who's a journalist and author and is formerly of this parish. Aoife, it's great to have you today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much. Great to be here. So Aoife, this isn't really a podcast about Barbie and Oppenheimer, we should say, but it is central to the conversation and most people would by now be aware of them or even know just from the name, the gist of them. But could you give us a quick summary of both films, who's in them and who directed them? Sure, we'll start with Oppenheimer, which is, like you're saying, the darker of the two films. It's really a case of dark and light with these two. So Oppenheimer is directed by Christopher Nolan. People will know him from films like Interstellar and from Tenet, which was his last film, Dunkirk and the Dark Knight uh, trilogy, for example. So he's one of those directors that every time he brings out a film, it's a really big event. So this is this is always going to be a big event bringing out this film, Oppenheimer. Um, it stars our, our own Killian Murphy, as they say, as J. Robert Oppenheimer, who's basically the father of the atomic bomb. So he led um, the team that were a part of the Manhattan Project, who were the American team that basically constructed the atom bomb. And that story as you can imagine is quite a dark story because you're not just talking about the creation of this hugely destructive thing but also his story how he went from somebody who became kind of a hero to the US because of the bomb being constructed to someone who then became a victim of McCarthyism which was a crackdown on communists um, kind of mid-century US so his figure is really interesting very dark and it's going to be a big film you know um, practical special effects etc etc if you turn to Barbie, you've got something a bit different. Um, Barbie is, of course, about the doll Barbie. The thing about this film is it's the first live action film about Barbie the doll. All the previous films have all been, um, you know, animated films or they've been like straight to video films, for example, um, or straight to TV. Um, this is directed by Greta Gerwig. So that's the key with this. So the director is a... This was a formerly indie director. She's someone who came up in the mumblecore movement back in the 2010s or thereabouts, directed and starred in these films. And so the idea of Greta Gerwig making a Barbie film is really intriguing from the get-go. Um, it stars Margot Robbie, the Australian actress, who's also a producer on the film too. And the two of them really wanted to make a feminist look at Barbie. So you've got the light and the dark, although that's not, not to say there isn't some darkness in Barbie, but there's definitely no lightness in Oppenheimer. And you mentioned Greta Gerwig there. Uh, what can I ask is Mumblecore. She, you're saying she <laughs> came up through that. That's a new one on me. Yeah, it was kind of an independent film movement back in kind of the, probably in the early to mid 2010s. And, you know, she was somebody who just kind of, you know, 
starred in these films with these young people tended to be based in New York, making these films where people tended to sit around and chat, kind of mumbling a lot. Um, so the fact that she came from this very independent orientated um, industry and then went on to direct a film like Little Women, Lady Bird, and now Barbie shows that she's someone who's able to move from that small movement into the bigger studio system. And that's the key here. This film is made by Warner Brothers, which is a massive studio. Oppenheimer is made by Universal, which is also a massive studio. So these are not small films by any means. So Aoife, the contrast then between the two films is obvious. And how was that then embraced both online and offline in the build up to the releases? It's so interesting, like you mentioned Barbenheimer (laughs) there in your introduction. And when you think about it, these two films are so different. It could have been the case that when it was announced, they were both going to be coming out on the exact same day, 21st of July, that people could have gotten a bit, you know, weird about it or confused or thought, oh, well, I'm, I'm only going to see Barbie and there's no way I'm seeing Oppenheimer or vice versa. But actually what people did was because it was so ironic, really, that these two very opposed films are coming out from two different studios. And I, we can get into later the significance of the studios, because that is really interesting. People decided online, as they do, to embrace that irony and to actually turn it into a celebration of the fact that they are so opposed and that you could make an event out of it. And I think people have been really hungry for a cinema event for ages. Like, we're only a few years, you know, post-lockdowns. The cinema took a really big hit during that time. You know, people want to get back to the cinema but maybe feel like they need a bit of an event. What you ended up having happen online was that people created memes, videos, images, etc. around Barbenheimer. And it became this huge event that had a lot of really funny things happen. For example, there was somebody tweeted a photograph of a beautiful sunset and the reply to it was, well, you know, this is from the marketing team from Barbie or somebody saw a pink dolphin was found off the coast of somewhere. Oh, this was definitely the marketing team in Barbie in this really ironic way where there's, they knew there's going to be a lot of work put into promoting these films. So Barbenheimer is really the cinema event of 2023. And, and, and when you talk about that marketing or that that, that meme like stuff, that is very internet based mm. hysteria, isn't it? But is that manufactured then in some way? If it, was it just the Barbie group in particular ramping up the marketing machine or did they just really lean into what was happening online around it? Yeah, so they did both. What's interesting as well is if you contrast Barbie with Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer didn't really do a lot of the mega marketing that Barbie did. So you did get, you know, your previews, your kind of teaser trailer, your trailer. Um, You got a couple of images, you know, shared um, from the actual film itself, from the trailers, but you didn't get, you know, loads of merchandise or anything. Whereas Barbie did lean into the actual merchandising. So let's not forget that Mattel, which owned Barbie is a huge company that wants to sell Barbies and that it wants to sell, you know, related merchandising. So this is not just a film, it's an it's an excuse to sell products. But they also got a lot of other brands on board. Um, we were looking earlier, our producer Nikki was showing me a link to an item on Zara, which is a cowboy shirt with a Barbie label on it. So again, you've got companies like that that have clothes that don't even look like they're related to which Barbie. Which we've seen with Disney along the way, haven't we? Exactly. With certain type of brand, Disney brands and movies. That's it. So every kind of studio now knows they can tie in with the merchandising. So Barbie leaned into that, but it did also lean into the phenomenon of the online Barbenheimer stuff. And, you know, you you did have things like one of the um, people involved in making the film talk to Architectural uh, Digest and claimed that because they used a certain colour of pink paint when making the set, that they'd run out globally of this colour of pink paint. So they're really clever, I think, in the marketing that they did. And also, if you went to Pennies, you could pick up any sort of Barbie item there. So it was really easy to buy 
buy into being a person going to see Barbie months before the film even hit the cinemas. And he for surely Christopher Nolan, very serious director, you named some of his previous work. Surely he wasn't too enthused by all of this. I mean, why would you want Barbie tagging along when you're doing a really very serious film about a very serious event? This is so interesting because you're right, like I'm sure when Christopher Nolan sat down and realised that Barbie was coming out the exact same day as his big, you know, opus Oppenheimer that, you know, had, there'd been loads of talk about what was going to happen with this film. He mustn't have been very happy, right? I mean, you can make an assumption about that. What What is particularly interesting about this, and I kind of hinted at it earlier, so... Christopher Nolan used to make his films, most of his films, with Warner Brothers. So he had a really strong relationship with them. Around the time of the pandemic, Warner Brothers, or mid-pandemic, Warner Brothers made the decision um, after a lot of lockdowns and after they affected the cinema-going population a huge amount because cinemas had to be closed, etc., etc., they made the decision to put a certain amount of their films from that point onward straight to streaming. They said all our new releases, I think it was in 2021 this happened, all our new releases are going to be put on streaming. Christopher Nolan was not happy happy about this. Like he makes his films like every director generally to be put on theatrical release. He put out a statement the next day saying, we went to bed thinking that we were part of this amazing studio. We woke up part of this not very good streamer. He was not happy. He left Warner Brothers and went to make Oppenheimer with Universal. Barbie is made by Warner Brothers. So when he woke up that day and saw that his former studio decided to bring out the film the same day, he mustn't have been haunted delighted. Haunted by a pink ghost. <laughs> exactly. Haunted by a pink ghost. And also on top of that, it's not the timing is significant because typically Christopher Nolan picks July as his month to bring out his blockbuster in the summer. So it wasn't that they could have said, oh, well, sure, you could have brought it, brought it out anytime. If he's Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan, he was going to bring it out at this particular month. So now that's all stuff that he hasn't said himself. This is all us kind of dealing with the facts that we know. He was asked about it and Christopher Nolan did say on the record that he was totally fine about it and that it's great to have lots of films out and it's all good for everybody working in the industry. And I'm sure when it got to a certain point, when Barbenheimer really took off, the team just leaned into it. I mean, at the end of the day, the film, as we'll get onto, has overperformed according to what the studio is saying. So it all worked out lovely. Oh, I see. So I, I was sure you were going to tell me that Barbie took over and Oppenheimer was forgotten about, but you must have some viewing figures. We do. Which tell us otherwise that they both did quite well. Yeah, we do. Exactly. So what's interesting about the box office in Ireland is that the figures like are out already. So that's really great. You always get to see, you know, the, that first weekend box office numbers are always so important. So the UK Ireland box office, Barbie Barbie debuted at £18.5 million. Oppenheimer hit £10.9 million. So obviously Barbie really outperformed Oppenheimer, but Oppenheimer wasn't expected to do as well as it's done. Now, if you're in the studios, of course, you're going to say on the record that you didn't think it was going to do that well because you wanted to look good. But at the same time, even though Christopher Nolan is this massive director making a film that costs nearly $200 million to make, um, has a big marketing budget, etc. This is kind of a niche film, like it is about a serious topic, right? You can't um, imagine your, your usual 15-year-old group of kids wanting to see Oppenheimer that yeah, much. exactly. Like a three-hour epic about the father of the atomic bomb probably isn't going to appeal to everybody. If you look at America as well, um, it scored the biggest opening weekend ever for a film directed by a woman. Also the same over in, in Ireland as well. Barbie opened to 155 million record-setting box office takings, and then Oppenheimer um, shattered expectations, the media are saying over there, with an $80 million debut. If you look also close to home, Lighthouse Dublin and Paul Os Galway gave some of their details. They said they had a record weekend, their busiest weekend on record, 
with sold out screens across the board, which I know was the case in other cinemas. I went to see it in Cineworld myself. And Lighthouse put on loads of great events too. They said they had 6,318 people um, coming in just to see the films over that weekend. So that's absolutely brilliant. You know, the screen averages for Barbie in um, Republic of Ireland were around 26,000, I think, and 14,000 for Oppenheimer. Lighthouse managed to, to double that, they said, and they also got the took the number one spot for the top performing site in UK and Ireland. So it's been really good for, for Irish cinemas. And the films themselves have reached and possibly exceeded expectations too and will only continue to draw in more people really. So really no online storm is bad news for for a weekend release really we've seen but that is you know the backstory is interesting about the director and and the studios and what's been happening with both of them but the core of all of this Aoife is that it feels like for the first time in years we have a duo of these summer blockbusters that people will flock to to the cinema to see. I, I even noticed people friends of mine in WhatsApp groups having let's do we'll do Barbie first we'll do Oppenheimer yeah. second no 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 hold on we'll do Oppenheimer <laughs> first and what do we do who, who what, you know when are yeah. we going to need a drink after which one all of that but is this a shift in how people embrace the cinema? Is there a change underway? I think people are hoping that it is a change, but it's hard to know really how much of that, you know, feeling that has been engendered over the weekend will stick, right? Because we're in such an interesting point for cinema right now, because like I was saying earlier, we're post-COVID in the sense we're post-lockdowns. So anybody can go to the cinema at any time. But the cinemas haven't recovered the numbers of people going to the cinema as they had before the pandemic. But at the same time, there were concerns about the box office for years before that point anyway. So it wasn't that you went from this like absolute high to this low and now you're getting back up to a high. They're trying to recover anyway. And as a result of these issues going on in cinema, the companies, the big studios are laying off people. They're putting cost cutting measures into place. They are struggling. We'll get on to in a little bit the fact that there are the strikes also going on with the writers and actors guilds at the moment. Um, so I think that this is a really interesting weekend because it shows that people want to go to cinema. They want to go to an event. They want to dress up. They want to chat about it online and they want to you know, physically go there themselves. And they realise that watching these films on streaming can be fun, but like you get more crack if you've got all your friends in the cinema. But I read a couple of different opinion pieces from people about this and there's such a mixture of opinion and I totally get it. The sense that some people are really hoping that this will show people go to the cinema, have, you know, have good fun. Even if you're going to see a really serious three hour film, it's still, you know, it's still going to be a really cool experience um, that you can make something out of it. But there's also the sense that if the films aren't there that people really want to see, then they're not going to go see them. And I think we've had so many, you know, like franchise films, superhero films, the blockbuster market has really changed from what it was when it first hit its peak in the 70s and into the 80s and 90s, that people might not be finding the reasons to go. So you're, you're kind of struggling with those two things of whether people will, will re-recognise their love for the cinema or whether there's enough there for them to actually go to. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how this translates for the rest of the year because we do have some really good blockbusters coming up, but things feel like they've changed a lot. And streaming, obviously... I forgot to mention that their streaming is a big part of the huge changes um, for, you know, filmmakers and for film goers and also people under cost of living have a lot less money. Going to cinema isn't cheap. So I think there's a lot of different things um, playing out. But everybody, I think, hopes that there, be, that there will be a bump in numbers. I think when you talk about streaming, it's a bit like the vinyl versus streaming of music, isn't it? There's always this kind yeah. of tension between the two. And people who love cinema will always say that there is nothing that compares to going to the cinema. There is a magic there. And some cinemas are moving towards a different model, aren't they? Where you can go and have your 
you know, nice meal while you're sitting there or a glass of wine. Yeah. So there, there may be a little niche area there too. Yeah, because if you look in Dublin, for example, you have the Stella Cinema where you can go and have food, have a drink, and it's like luxurious. It's more expensive than just going into, you know, a multiplex and going to see or an omniplex and going to see a film. But it's like the idea that when you're going there, you're having this experience. And people who've, you know, been to similar cinemas in the US, in the UK, I know I was in one in, in one in New York and there's plenty in London, you know, we'll know that there are other options out there, kind of like the Stella or in between the Stella and other cinemas in Ireland, where you have more of an option to do things. You can have you can have a glass of wine in most of the independent cinemas here. Um so I think that, that the, the broader range of cinemas will always be good for people going to cinema, but it still costs money for them to set up the cinema and for them to actually make money and it costs money for the people to go. So I think the bottom line, the business sense of this is always going to interrupt the ability to have loads of cinemas. Like Ireland had so many cinemas decades and decades ago. We were a country where people always have loved going to the cinema. Um, loads of the cinemas are now closed and closed and derelict. And that's just changes of habits and and changes of business but I think when we do see um, independent cinemas like the Lighthouse and the IFI really raking in those customers and celebrating that over a weekend like the Barbenheimer weekend it does show that there's a there's a really great potential audience out there for people for the cinema owners should I say. Thinking of selling choose Adapt Advantage ads to guarantee unbeatable visibility attract more buyers and get the best price for your home ask your estate agent for Adapt Advantage ad today and Eva, how do cinema square the circle then of staying relevant in the face of the growth of streaming? We're kind of we have this tyranny of choice with streaming, don't we? But staring at a movie mm. on your phone is never going to compete with a large <laughs> screen. It's getting people in the door. Yeah, it's so hard. I was thinking about this, like I was really thinking about it because you know, obviously I don't run a cinema, but I was thinking about it from the point of view, like if you are somebody running a cinema, you're kind of hamstrung by what's being presented to you to actually put on. So like those tentpole releases, it's decided when they're released and all the details around how many cinemas they're released to by somebody sitting in an office in like LA or New York or something, you know. And also, if you look at the history of blockbusters, like the blockbuster as we know it emerged in about 1975 when Jaws came out. So Steven Spielberg's film, like he was only in his like mid-20s when this came out and it really kicked off this huge, amazing era for what we think of when we think of, of the original blockbusters, you know, the Star Wars franchise, for example, and then on into the 80s and 90s films like the Alien franchise. And those all felt so original. Like every Spielberg film feels like a massive original blockbuster and you're, you know, they're so amazing to watch now. But now we're in a different era where the franchise IP era is really holding sway so you have Marvel films etc so cinemas need to take advantage of the fact that people are paying to go to see these but are also hamstrung by the fact that there might not be that that many other films being released there's fewer films I think released overall than there used to be back, back um, even like 10 or 20 yeah, years just, ago I was just going to ask do we have fewer summer blockbusters to draw in the crowds because you mentioned Marvel there I would be a person who dips in and out of yeah. the cinema not really a cinema goer and as far as I could see in the last 10-15 years it's just for kids now it's for teenagers it's it seems there's a massive massive audience for those films you know and you have the thing with them is with the Marvel films for example um, you have so, such a broad sway the films that you can bring out but all these different characters they're not for me either like they're just not the kind of films I really love seeing occasionally like I like say Guardians of the Galaxy for example or something like that but there is a massive audience there but I think when people who aren't into them 
see them as the only option. They get a little bit tired, I think, of going to see them. And, and, you know, experts in this area would say the same thing. For example, Top Gun that came out last year, that was a phenomenon, huge, like massive, the biggest film of the year. It was huge. Now, it is part of a franchise technically, but it felt new and fresh to people, even though it was like an, an older film. So it's these kind of ones that are grabbing attention. And I think people hope that lessons will be learned from Barbie and Oppenheimer, that people do want to see fresh, interesting new things. At the same time, Barbie is an IP, IP film, right? So it's not like this brand new idea. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting seeing whether or not the industry responds to the popularity of these two films in terms of what it gives the, um, you know, the thumbs up to. But I do think overall, if you look at the blockbusters that were out this year pre Barbie and Oppenheimer, they're not performing as well as they're supposed to. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny has, is not making its money back so far. It might long term, but it hasn't made its money back. And The Flash as well um, hasn't done as well as expected, but that's kind of complicated because of factors around the um, the lead actor. But so far, this that's why this is such a big moment. And if, if we look back at the history of cinema, why were summer blockbusters a thing in the first place? Summer, you would have thought, being an unlikely time to go and watch movies. Yeah, I think in 75, when Jaws came out, I was reading about this recently and they were talking about all of the pre-publicity that was done about it. And don't forget, in the US during the summer, the temperatures generally in the big cities anyway, are a lot hotter than they are here. So people are escaping this, the, the hot weather with like aircon. But also having a summer blockbuster just gets people into the cinema as well and kind of gets keeps the business afloat, I suppose, throughout the year. Um, but when the blockbusters emerged in the 70s, they showed that people were, were picking up on the marketing, picking up on all of the chats that people wanted to queue up with their friends and go to see these big films. And that was a real watershed moment. And a lot of people will say that Hollywood is cyclical, you know, that you they went through the new Hollywood era into the blockbusters and then eventually the blockbusters kind of got a little bit stale they changed then we got into the eras that we're in now so what's next are we going to go back into this era where the independence can kind of take over a little bit more maybe that could be a little bit I think too positive thinking Um, but it, it will be interesting to see how the blockbuster changes because we don't have that Jaws effect right now we have the franchise IP blockbuster generally but because Oppenheimer and Barbie are a little bit different and out of that mould it does indicate that there is that interest there in something different. And, uh, it could, we could be coming to a point where people are a bit jaded of the streaming services because mm. they can get a bit samey, even though, as I say, we have this, oh, you know, incredible choice that is overwhelming yeah. sometimes. Uh, the backdrop to this, of course, is that there's a massive strike underway in Hollywood. What's happening there, Aoife, at the moment? Yeah, it's such an interesting timing for it, isn't it? So there's two different strikes. One is the writer's strike that kicked off on the 2nd of May and that's still going on. Um, and then the second one is the actor's strike and that started on the 14th of July and that's still going on. There were negotiations happening up till the strikes um, took place. So there's about 150,000 TV and movie actors who are on strike as part of that. And when you're thinking about actors on strike, you're not just thinking about people like Tom Cruise. This is like your everyday actors who are working on TV. Um, they might be in uh, advertising and things like that and having the two of those strikes taking place at the same time that's the first time that you've basically had a shutdown in Hollywood in 63 years which is incredible and I was looking at some figures for how it, it impacted the kind of the local economy in Los Angeles which is you know built, built on Hollywood in many ways and the last time there was a shutdown in 2007 they lost they it's estimated over two billion dollars in the local economy so this is a huge huge business when you think about it Together, they have very similar aims in terms of what their unions want out of the representatives that they're that they're talking to. Some of them differ, but overall, you're looking at them seeking better pay and new protections. The fact that the workplaces are changing really quickly, streaming, like we mentioned there, 
there are things like residuals, which is the amount of money or a proportion of money that actors will get um, every time a show that they're in is or a film is is replayed. That landscape's r- like rapidly changed because you don't just have the normal TV and cable like they used to have. Now you've streaming and they're getting tiny, tiny percentages or they're getting nothing because of that. So they want those changes there. Um, and they also, I suppose, want general kind of cost of living changes taken into regard when you're talking about how much you can earn as a screenwriter or an actor. And also it's proportion of the fears are around things like AI. So protecting themselves using guardrails when it comes to AI, because AI, like generative AI, you're talking about ChatGPT, that really could potentially affect screenwriters. Now, are you going to have a film next year made on a script that was from ChatGPT that's going to be a blockbuster? No. But are there jobs that screenwriters do or that people in the writing industry do that could be done by ChatGPT? Potentially, they want to, they're worried about that. Could you have um, AI in some way replicate people so that they could be background extras they might only have to be paid for one day of work and then their likeness is used or could it be used some way with the the, the main actors that's also a fear people have so those are the two main things that you're seeing in amongst their fears and that's why the talks have gone on for so long as well with the actors strike you're looking at really visible people which they're hoping I suppose pushes on the talk so far Um, you know puts more of a spotlight on the fact that these are big names aren't they showing up on the picket line which is unheard of in this generation that's the thing it's really really visible so I think that the hope is that will kind of push things along. And Fran Drescher, formerly of The Nanny, um, is the head of SAG-AFTRA, which is the, the actors union. So she's been really outspoken. But uh, yeah, I mean, it must be incredible being months now as a screenwriter out of work, not, earn, not earning money and hoping that you're going to be fairly compensated going forward. Um, there's things like mini rooms, for example, that they want more rules and regulations around. Um, if you're thinking about writers rooms that will write like a series like Succession, for example, lately they've been bringing in things, not Succession, but other shows called mini rooms where they only have people in at the kind of very early days for like 10 weeks at a time to write and then they're finished up which leads to this really quick kind of gig economy for writers so it's not very stable so the reasons why they're striking are really really interesting and when, of course when you look at the profits for the for Barbenheimer this weekend it's not as if the studio bosses are struggling on the other side of the fence no very tough to get a, a decent response though by the looks of it yeah and we like we've had a lot of talks in Ireland about how much pay people are getting recently who are in very high profile media jobs and if you look at the money that people are getting paid during the higher up in the studio jobs they're certainly not short if you bob and yet at the same time if you talk or if you read anything that the people working in the studios say you know they say we're having to cost cut we're having to lay off in some cases thousands of people we don't have a lot of money to go negotiating with but at the same time it is a massive industry and they are making the money off the people who are striking so I think the you know the result of this will be really interesting to see even over here in Ireland you know what impact then, Eva, do you think it could have on future releases? Is there Are we expecting a dip in quality, delay to some big name productions, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's so interesting. So already there's been an impact in terms of the writers because in the US you have a lot of um, chat shows which would have obviously writers scripting some of those and you, you can watch them on, on YouTube sometimes or, or on some channels here and they immediately weren't able to do anything where you know had to go off air because they literally couldn't have anybody um, working that was breaking the strike. So that was one immediate impact. Then you would have had some um, film projects and TV projects that were post-production. So all the acting and writing had already ended and now they're just in the post-production phase. Those will still be able to go on. So you will see some of those that are scheduled for like the end of this year or into next year. 
taking place. But then you have other shows where, you know, had to take a, they had to take a break. You had Yellow Jackets, Severance and Stranger Things. They've had to pause production because of the writer's strike and the actor's strike combined. Um, Disney had to make some changes to its release calendar. So you have a lot of people scrabbling to try and figure out when to release things. Um, you will see more repeats, I think. In Ireland, it might not really affect us as much in terms of repeats because we have our own content we're making here, right? But we won't be probably seeing the same shows coming over here at the time that we might have been expecting to see them on certain channels. Um, then you think about the film festivals. So I say somebody like Bradley Cooper isn't very happy because he's a film called Maestro out about Leonard Bernstein. And this is a big, huge thing for him. He's supposed to bring it to Venice, the Venice Film Festival. He's he's involved in more than just acting, but he will he even be able to turn up to promote his films? So you have upcoming events like the film festivals affected potentially like Venice and Toronto, which is where you usually get to show big films that we're looking forward to seeing in the rest of the year um, you'll get like shows like Graham Norton's show won't be able to have American TV stars on it uh, Emmy Awards could potentially be or will likely be affected as well some films did get permission to film and these are ones that were independent companies that agreed to the SAG terms so like A- um, A24 has a couple of films that are in production independent um, films um, but overall I think we will see some TV shows delayed we'll see some films delayed and then we'll see more reruns and then we potentially might see more reality TV shows because you oh, don't no, need actors. Please, no, I thought we were I done know. with that. <laughs> well, that's what led to the uh, the reality TV boom was the last time there was a writer strike in 2007 you had more reality TV coming on stream. And one of the people that was <laughs> that came out of that was Donald Trump got to be on telly because of The Apprentice. Wow. And we all saw what happened after that. Not saying The Apprentice's fault that he became president, but it obviously raised his profile. So the impact of it could potentially be pretty massive in terms of delays to really big projects that we're all looking forward to seeing. And I guess that's because no one in reality TV is a member of SAG after. Is that it? That it's easier so they don't need writers and they don't need, if you have non-scripted reality TV, and I have some reality TV are definitely scripted right but if you've non-scripted reality tv and you don't have actors your stars i suppose aren't technically actors right they're just people off the street you don't have writers then you can find your way around it with that and you you'll potentially see that but maybe people are a little bit colder on the reality tv now after going through the reality tv boom so we you know that remains to be seen i suppose and if if you look at the impact that barbenheimer has had this summer do you think any other films might have missed out because of it well, I think I was looking at the films that were coming out this weekend and there was, or last weekend, and there was, everybody wisely was not going up against Barbenheimer. Um, there were some films coming out that I'm sure knew they weren't going to be doing really well anyway. There was a lot of films that came out onto streaming automatically, but that that happens anyway. Um, Mission Impossible is was the top film up until this weekend in Ireland. That's really raking in people. Um, there was films like Joyride, um, which is an American film about Asian American women who... Um, yeah, have a kind of an interesting trip to China. And that potentially might have missed out because it because of all of the attention on Barbenheimer would have maybe dragged away some of the people who could have gone to see Joyride, like y- young women in particular. But I think if you look at the way the, like I was saying, the blockbusters like The Dial of Destiny not doing brilliantly, I don't know if that's because people were holding off to go to the cinema. It just probably indicates that there isn't as mu- there wasn't as much interest in going to see The Flash um, and Dial of Destiny, which indicates overall there's just been a lull in the amount of people willing to go see a blockbuster. Um, but like I was saying, this potentially Barbenheimer could change things going forward. And of course, it's, it's really hard to compete with that level of hype building up yeah. to this weekend or last weekend. So difficult. Say. Yeah. And uh, Aoife, what else do you have to look forward then for, for the movie lovers listening? Is there a lot to look forward to this year or are we at the mercy of this strike? So it's going to be interesting definitely to see if things will be delayed because 
I forgot to mention that people can't do any promotion for their films if they're actors, right? I was supposed to interview Killian Murphy for the journal. Lots of other media were supposed to do it. He couldn't do an interview with us because the strike started the day there was before. A lot of, I was meant to interview yeah, Killian. Yeah, <laughs> a lot happen. of people, going, a little group of people being very disappointed about that. They had to leave the, the uh, premiere in London. So potentially, if all goes to plan, we will hopefully see Dune Part 2 coming out um, and Wonka as well. So Timothy Chalamet is uh, definitely flying his flag there. And then there's other films um, like Napoleon that will be due out later in the year. But I think between streaming and, and cinema, you will see some some good titles coming out before the end of 2023, all going to plan. But we, I suppose, watch the space, really. Um, if the county promotion, is there any point in bringing out your film, your big blockbuster that you've slaved over for a couple of years and spent hundreds of millions of dollars on? That's the big question. It really is a pity when you think of all the disruption of COVID and the, that, that sector and all of the hardworking actors and people behind the scenes having to go through all of this again. But with a bit of luck, it might be uh, sorted by the end of the year. Uh, finally, if I'm going to have to ask you, Barbie or Oppenheimer, which was your favourite? <laughs> <laughs> like, I really enjoyed them both for totally different reasons. And I know that sounds like I'm sitting sitting on the fence, but like... Oppenheimer did take a while to warm on me I will say whereas Barbie straight out of the straight out of the gate was really into it I had much more fun when I went to see Barbie You mean Barbie. the atom bomb didn't do I know me I know I can't believe um, and Killian Murphy's amazing in it but I, I think it like I thought they were both excellent films um, they both had their flaws but I I would definitely think if you want a really good time at the cinema go to see Barbie if you want to spend a bit more of a contemplative time and you don't mind three hours discussing really difficult topics go to see Oppenheimer it's worth it I think to see something like Oppenheimer in the cinema rather than at home because the sound design is unbelievable it's so loud visually it's incredible so that's what you get when you see Christopher Nolan but if you want a bit of crack with the girlos <laughs> go to see Barbie <laughs> And hey ho, the real world is hard enough. Maybe just go see Barbie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The real world is tough enough. Well, before we close out, Eva, a note from our producer, Nikki, uh, that he did manage to get the Barbie shirt mentioned earlier, but he's also very upset by the lack of us referring to Irish cinema as going to the pictures. Oh, very How did we true. miss that? How did we miss it indeed? <laughs> so thanks so much, Eva, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This episode of The Explainer was supported by Daft Advantage Ads, the best way to sell your home in Ireland. Looking to get the best price for your home? Ask your estate agent for a Daft Advantage ad today. Thanks again to journalist and author Aoife Barry for joining us today. You've been listening to the Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by senior producer Nikki Ryan and executive producer Sinead O'Carroll. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.